A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Yotson. Does the season so far give Serie A the coveted title of most exciting football in Europe? If not, who deserves the accolade? Elsewhere, the legend of Sergio Ramos continues. Back from injury, who would bet against this particular 35-year-old still having what it takes to win the Champions League? Even if he's yet to walk the catwalk at the Parc de France. And COVID wreaking havoc in the German national team, who are the up-and-coming youngers who could be given a go in this World Cup weekend's international break? So, Andy, first of all, should we kick off with Sergio Ramos, once upon a time El Capitano of Real Madrid, but not in PSG? He hasn't had a good time of it. No, I, I, I do like that. The framing of it is the legend of Sergio Ramos, as, as you put it. it. It feels to me like this could be a Hollywood blockbuster with him wearing like a flat cap, braces, plus fours, all, all, all that sort of stuff. I think Considering it's Amazon his next Prime. Moves. I think it's Amazon Prime. No, genuinely, <laughs> yeah. Amazon Prime. Uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah. What sort of character would he be? Well, a, a, a better one than he is in the Amazon Prime show. <laughs> uh, I, I think, I mean, obviously the first series of that... A villain of some kind. Yeah, uh, oh, definitely. Uh, the first series of that got off to uh, a, a bit of a stilted start, didn't it? With the fact that um, he deliberately got booked in that first leg of the Champions League game Ooh. against Ajax right at the end. It, and well, then sat there watching his team him? getting the hiding like in the second idiot. leg, but not the out. <laughs> exactly. Of course, yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of his recent misfortunes are, are out of his control. And I, I know we like to think of him as, you know, this sort of dark lord of master of his own future. But I, I, I don't know if he is. Like age catches up with everyone. He's it, injury it, prone. It turns out. Well, he is because, uh, as you pointed out at the top, Dotton, um, he has made it back to collective training for PSG this week. He has made it through the session, which is a first as well, because he's um, pulled up with knee and calf issues before, and he's not played a single minute for his new club so far. Not even in a friendly. Whilst, by the way, they are paying him. At six million net a year, basic, before we get to anything else. Now, PSG have let it known through um, various French media outlets. Of, He's the six of, million of, dollar man. Of, of, <laughs> he is. Have, have briefed through uh, these various outlets this week that um, he didn't receive a signing on fee. Okay, but they're still paying him an absolute fortune mm. and he doesn't really look in serviceable Nick at the moment. And when you think how controversial and what headline it was for Luis Enrique to, to leave him out of Euro 2020, well, I mean, it's been, um, it's been recognized as a, as a decent decision in triplicate ever since. Um, and whether, whether you're a fan of Sergio Ramos or whether he really grinds your gears, I, I don't think there can be any particular joy in this 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 current situation. Um, PSG have been taking it very, very careful with him. So 
they want him to be completely ready before he got back to training and before he gets back to playing game. The idea is he plays sometime before the end of the month, his his first minutes for PSG. My, my guess is their best case scenario is him in. And I know Lars fancies him for a bit of Champions League action between now and the end of the season if they go to a back three, which I think given the fact that they've got Hakimi and um, Nuno Mensch makes makes absolutely perfect sense. You can maybe get away with that as a back four in, in Ligue 1, but not in not in um, the back stages of the Champions League. But whether Sergio Ramos is the player who tips them over the uh, over the hump in terms of winning it, I, I, I seriously doubt. But I think it's interesting because people in Spain are watching it very closely. There are a lot of people in Spain who think he's done. And there have been a few Spanish doctors who've come out and given their opinion on his issue and his issues are clear by the way um he had this knee operation going back to the start of 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 2021 the operation was not a total success and not only that but it's causing repeated calf injuries for him mm. which is like a you know deferring issue um but you know however many videos he posts of himself in Instagram sort of you know running up hills and in his home gym and having muscles in places that you don't expect them he's got to make it through a game and that is a huge issue particularly when you consider the way he plays but but PSG must have been aware of this right they they, they bought yeah. him they bought him as as kind of a fixer upper you know, it, it was like it was like Holmes under the hammer. It was Sergio Ramos <laughs> under the hammer yeah, with yeah. Dion Dublin sort of showing around. He's got stairs going <laughs> all the way up to the bedroom. Dublin <laughs> out of this, He's doing well, He's doing a good yeah. job to present it. Is that the reason? Generally, is that the reason? Does anybody remember the real reason why PSG bought him in the first place? Leadership. He's a very famous player who was available. Is that the reason? Generally. I mean, that seems to be they, their transfer strategy. They didn't, they didn't think about the position. No, but if play. we're being serious, I mean, I, I hate to be serious about PSG. It's more, much more fun being flippant about PSG. But if you're thinking about what their problem has been as a team in terms of taking that last step and, and going all the way in the Champions League, which seems to be the only thing the club exists for now, it's, it's a very strange situation. The, the league is basically a given due to the financial discrepancies, uh, though they do manage to mess it up occasionally, which is funny. Uh, but, but the league almost doesn't have value to... like like there, There's something like... I think the answer is 11 teams or something that put together... That, there are 11 teams that spend a tenth of what PSG spend on, on salaries. It's ridiculous. But they now basically exist to win the Champions League. One of the things that have been an issue in the Champions League is the, the way they respond when things don't go their way. They they seem to re- respond very petulantly and, and because they're, they're a group of players who are used to having things uh, go in their favour in the league every week and when they're really put under pressure and maybe they don't get some refereeing decisions they want they they do sometimes come across as crybabies and that's not the kind of mentality that wins you the Champions League and I think getting you know it's a trite thing but getting proven winners in the door uh, guys who know what it takes to tilt those decisive moments in their favour I can see the logic of that if you have a team that has so many good players but they keep failing at the final hurdle so having someone like Sergio Ramos in the dressing room who've done it so many times someone who's very uncompromising in his mentality who who demands a lot from himself and the people around him yes there is a logic there I think the other interesting thing is I I think in the past you would look at a player especially of that age and think if you're going to have a leader it would be nice to have a leader who speaks French 
Hmm. That is no longer considered important anymore at PSG. And when players, even big players like Neymar, arrived in in the past, um, they were given a tutor with the intention of um, learning French and all the team activities being in French. Now they are offered the option of a tutor, but it's not so obligatory. So and I think if you look on the pitch, where all the leadership is, they're moving to the beat of Messi and Neymar and Di Maria. The fact that Mbappe speaks English and French excellently obviously helps. Um, you know, obviously they're wanting to stay beyond this term. Whether whether that's going to happen or not is, is is a different story. And Pochettino, interestingly, gives most of his team talks in Spanish and French, uh, Spanish and English. There's there's not that much French in there. Well, I was about to say, just looking at the squad list now, the number of Spanish speakers versus the number of non-Spanish speaking French speakers. That that balance is kind of weird in that dressing room, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And I think that's why Pochettino has chosen to I mean he said he wants his words to be a bit like when he arrived at Southampton, he wants his words to be more precise. He said, yes. Oh, my French is a bit rusty. But actually there's no real impetus for it. And when you look at the leaders of the team, and this is why Sergio Ramos could still be important. Even if he ends up playing, I don't know, 12 league on games this season as you said Lars that's not really what he's there for anyway mm. they're, they're a bit of you know it, intensive uh, uh, training for him but in terms of him being a voice and leadership that can happen to, now to, anyway you're not impressed by this guy are you Lars? I mean, that, that's the real point you're not impressed by the fact that we're talking about well the person that Andy calls her Hio, that I call Sergio what do you call him I would just say Sergio, but then I'm a I'm a simple I'm a simpleton. But I it's just a PSG thing that kind of drives me crazy a little bit. And it's not just about Sergio Ramos. Like it's just another example of them sinking a lot of money into someone who I guess serves a purpose. But I don't think you can't really tell me that for the cost of, of paying his salary, which which is considerable, yeah. it wouldn't have been possible for them to sign uh and an equally good centre half. So he's a symptom rather than a cause for because you. Because you get the sense that this team, this team is more a sort of a, a guest list for a FIFA gala in Qatar than an actual team that's been put together mm. to be a good football team. And 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 it might be unfair on Ramos because I don't think he's the worst example. But but, but if you but but it's just it, it, there, it there's no balance and it doesn't make sense. I mean, I was watching them at the weekend and they played. I've seen quite a few of their games this season, and I think the way they the, the game against Bordeaux was possibly some of the best football they've played this year, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I think that's fair. Because yeah. it, it, it was actually flowing a little bit, and players were finding each other. And like I, I hate to say this, but it's probably not a coincidence that Messi wasn't there, because <laughs> then it was back to, to Mbappe and Neymar finding each other on the pitch, and they have some understanding for having played together. You know? You've added sort of the best player possibly in history to that mix without really giving any mind to what it'll do to now have three players on the pitch at the same time who, who demand the ball constantly and who want to be the centre of the attention and how that's meant to work. And we, we asked the question before the season, the answer so far is that they haven't found a way to make it work and I expect that Pochettino will be scapegoated for that uh, but, but I think that's slightly misguided I, I guess that's another question is us talking about Sergio Ramos 
overshadowing the real issue, which is which is Messi, who is still not 100% fit, who didn't have a full pre-season, who is actually quite struggling to 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 fit into Ligue 1. And again, he's he's there for Champions League, etc., etc. We understand that. Ramos as well. But I, the thing the thing with Ligue 1 is it can put miles on the clock that you don't want, which is an issue for both of those players. Messi is still at the point where he's like, oh shit, people kick you here. <laughs> and whereas whereas Zlatan Ibrahimovic, for example, when he Excellent. discovered people that, kick me here, I can uh, kick yeah. back. <laughs> exactly, it was a sense of it, he was initially affronted, and then he thought, "I can fight fire with exactly fire." Exactly right. That can't happen for Messi. So there is a degree of adaptation. Yeah, a degree of adaptation. Ultimately, though, it does seem as if the point of as you've stipulated. I remember when. Uh, both Messi and Ramos went to PSG uh, a few months back. We said they, you know, we argued over whether they should be played or saved for the Champions League, mm. or whether they should make a much more sort of uh, complete contribution to PSG. And I wonder, as things are unraveling in the Champions League now, whether it is not just better to accept that Sergio Ramos isn't going to play every game, and you may not be needed in every game in league out, mm. whereas you probably need him if you look at his record, which is impressive. Um, what is it? He scored in every season, I think, of the uh, Spanish uh, league every single season since he was nineteen years old. Seventeen seasons scored, and that's and that's before as, we get to the cards. Well, yeah, he's got he's got a proud got, record to keep up this got, season. He's got a trophy cabinet full of red cards, and uh, maybe I mean there's a new also, film out called The Card Counter. Maybe that is the played, role for him. Yeah, he's played 747 games. Yeah. I mean, replace Oscar Isaac with Sergio Ramos. 747 was <laughs> the name of an aircraft runs by the time. You know, he, he's got that experience. So that in itself says to me leadership. If you want him just for that then he's got defensive capabilities. He's got the capabilities of being the hard man when he needs to be or the pantomime villain that he needs to be. And he can score goals as well. Uh, Yeah, but they do have to find a system in which they can get him on the field in a way that makes sense. And I don't think you can just sort of have that in the back pocket and then just suddenly deploy it on Champions League night. I mean, you need to play some games. But it's it's, it's interesting, isn't it? When we were talking about, about, like, say... we we look at it in its basis form and Ligue 1 just being a a tune up for 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 their back end of the Champions League. Whereas that may not be a, a particularly helpful tune up for for Leo Messi. Ligue 1, a situation where Sergio Ramos can flex his muscles quite literally, it's probably quite good for him. Yeah. But but they so, have to yeah. they have to get him to that point. I mean, if you look at we, we talk about Messi trying to adapt to a different type of football without having a pre-season. Well, Sergio Ramos hasn't had a pre-season. He's not really trained up until this, well, he's not trained at all up until this point. He missed a stack of games last season. It's, it's actually quite a short time until we get the, to the back end of the Champions League and that point where we all believe that they'll need him. So that's quite a lot of ground for him to cover to get yeah. to that required standard What what that you're talking about, Dot, and when you're talking about Sergio Ramos and his great achievements of the past. But, but let's talk practicalities for a second because we've spoken a lot about like abstract concepts here of leadership, of, of what he adds, what he does. Yeah. I, I circle back to this, what is the team actually meant to look like issue, mm. right? 
which is quite an important day-to-day thing. Um, if everyone's fit, assuming everyone's fit, even Verratti, which I don't know, is a wild assumption, but let's assume that. Depends if it's Tuesday or Wednesday. <laughs> how, how, what are they meant to be? So in a back four, when you have fullbacks who are extremely attacking on both sides, can you play Sergio Ramos as one of the two center halves against a strong opponent? Hmm. Well, this is hard to answer because we don't know what kind of physical shape he comes back in when he eventually comes mm. back. But I do think that's a hmm situation. So maybe a back three, right? So you you, you have two center halves, uh, center half either side of him, kind of looking after him a bit, doing a bit of the running that he maybe shouldn't be doing. Mm. You play with wing backs, so you let Hakimi and uh, you, you, <laughs> you let Hakimi and Nuno Mendes sort of bomb forward as much as they want, which makes sense. Uh, you you need to play the front three. All of those three guys need to and 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 God bless the two central midfielders. Then I guess it'll be under Herrera and and Gay, or or maybe Van Aldum and Gay, who who I guess has to bring like an oxygen, maybe one of those e scooters, maybe get that on the field. <laughs> I mean the amount of ground they're gonna have to cover. Uh, it'll be I mean. It's one of those things that would look amazing on FIFA, like when you're playing the computer game. That that would maybe be good, but would this work in real? How is it meant to get some of your energy drinks over there? I I mean, maybe that's the way to. But 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 these are actual issues that they have to find a solution to. And I know it's like feeling sorry for Pochettino. It's like there there's no violin small enough in the world, really. He's being very well remunerated, and you know that's what the money's for, I guess. But he's not in an easy position. He's in a position where, obviously, anything other than winning the league at a canter playing great football is a failure. And ideally, you should get to the final and win the Champions League as well. And for all the quality that's in the squad, and there is a ton of quality, it's really hard to find an eleven that makes sense. Y muy cara está vendiendo la derrota en este tramo final en Madrid, pero estamos en el 47, aún no hemos llegado al 48. El remate. ¡No! Something of a baptism of COVID for the new German coach. Andy, do you want to tell us about the the havoc that the pandemic, uh, or at least uh, coronavirus, is playing on the German national team? Yeah, I mean, they've got upcoming games against uh, Liechtenstein and Armenia, which fortunately for them are not as vital as they could be because, of course, they were the first qualifiers for the World Cup apart from Qatar, the the the, the host nation, um, and um, it's it's a good job is is the feeling in Germany because uh, Nicolas Sula of Bayern tested positive. Um, we've got others sent home: Kimmich, Musiala, Gnabry, and uh, Karim Adeyemi, who were uh, um, identified as as his close contacts. Um, it's, there's some interesting chatter around this because we know that not everyone in the squad is fully vaccinated. And we, we know for sure that Yosua Kimmich is, is, is one of mm-hmm. those, um, which is um, one of the reasons that, he, that he's been sent home. Um, we've got a couple of injuries on on top of that. Florian Wirtz isn't there. Julian Draxler has been sent back to, to, to Paris. Um, so I, I guess there are two sides to this. Firstly, Germany a little bit freaked out. What if this had happened when we really needed to win. And you still imagine they'll have the qualities to beat Liechtenstein and, and, and Armenia, to, to be perfectly frank. But it does give 
Hansi Flick a little bit of an opportunity to try stuff out as well. And he is a coach who who loves to try stuff out. Um, they, they've called up um, Kevin Folland of Monaco, who's come, uh, come into the squad, Jonathan Tarr, um, and Wolfsburg have done quite well out of it because you've got Maxi Arnold, who's played very well this season, um, come in. Uh, Rila Baku, who can play... Um, Right back, you could imagine him playing in the sort of role that Jonas Hoffman, uh, the the wide player for Borussia Mönchengladbach, who's been playing right back for Germany for the last couple of games um, in quite a cavalier move. It's something you can imagine him doing and providing that 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 sort of um, that sort of cover. And given that uh, Kimmich was used as a, a a right wing back sort of hybrid in in, in the Euros. Um, it's clearly a problem. Uh, it's, it's clearly a problem in a position that's still a, a, a work in progress. <clears throat> the one I'm really interested in is uh, Lucas Metcher, who mm. uh, came through the academy at Manchester City, former England under twenty one, so he, he could have played for England as well. Um, declared for, for for Germany last year. Four different loans. Yeah, he's one of those. He's almost definitely the first player to play for Preston, Wolfsburg, Middlesbrough, and Anderlecht over the course, <laughs> over the course of four seasons. It's, it's, it's fair to say that has not be happened before and will never happen again. You say that, but record. it's very it's very modern city in Chelsea, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But it, he's 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 gone to Wolfsburg permanently after that great season at Anderlecht so far this season. And Metz has had an absolutely great start mm. to the season. He's been fantastic, and for a team like Wolfsburg, who've like been really reliant on Wolfs uh, Val Weghorst before, uh, yeah. not really creating that many chances to have someone. And he's played as a he's played as a centre forward so far this season. He's also played just behind Weghorst sometimes with Yannick Gerhardt. And what's impressed me about Metcher is the fact that he can adapt between those positions and he scores lots of different type of goals. So he's very can... technically clever, isn't he? He the, the he finish is. in the Champions League last week was it was very good. Oh, the winner against Salzburg, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was terrific. But then you go to the the weekend where he scores the winner against um, Augsburg, and it's, it's it's like a header just outside the six yard box mm. at, at the near post. Still he's, a goal. He's like a well, yeah. But what I'm saying is he's he's a big guy who's technically yeah. gifted, as as Lars says. But he can do that rough stuff that you expect a centre forward to do. And when we talk about Germany in the last little while, Lars, we say they may be lacking that sort I of mean, fixed point centre forward. They is, is he that? Do well, you they think? haven't had that since since Miroslav Klose, really. No. Or I mean, I guess Mar- the, the Mario Gomez right towards the end. Uh, put but put, put, put a, a bit of respect on Sandro Wagner's name. But th- I was about to say the <laughs> fact that Sandro Wagner was even in the conversation for the national yes. team shows you how much of a problem this was. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and uh, God bless him, but you know, come on, very limited guy. Nemcha, on the other hand, has this very good mix of being a technically accomplished player, like you say, who's capable of very very difficult difficult finishes. Um, and again, the winner against Salzburg. I, it's one of those goals that when you the more replays you look you go hang on that was really well executed mm. uh, and, and but also has a bit of physical presence in the box so he is a very enticing prospect and I guess this is uh, it's the old cliche in every crisis lies an opportunity and, and that is certainly true with injury crises in football and it's especially true when you're playing Liechtenstein so it doesn't really matter anyway it's a great chance to, to look at new players and uh, I suppose that, that's what we'll do also intrigued to see if we can have a Neuhaus Goretzka partnership in the midfield Neuhaus is one of those 
he's probably doomed to not get many caps just because Joshua Kimmich exists. Uh, but Neuhaus can just ping the ball around beautifully. You know, he, he's mm. a very aesthetically pleasing midfielder. Uh, the, the way he picks these sort of slightly long range passes and really clean striker of the ball as well. He's a lovely player. I think the interesting thing about Neuhaus is that at club level, there's not an obvious next step for him at the moment. Mm. I, I think in, like, even if you go back a, a year or two, um, he's an obvious signing for Bayern, but mm. I, I don't, I don't really see Again, where he fits there. No. And he is, he's a massive Bayern fan from when he was a kid. Like his, his dad's a massive Bayern fan. When he scored against Bayern, his, his dad wouldn't speak to him on the phone apparently because <laughs> he, he, he really had to hump about it. Yeah, but, but yeah, it, I, I do wonder like you, if Neuhaus is in that point where he's going to get a bit stuck. I, I do wonder though, when we've been looking at this, sense that Germany need this centre forward Metcher is someone who who could obviously do it I think the other one is, is Kai Havertz yeah. of course I, I really want him to be like a millennial Berbatov type millennial Berbatov yeah 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 he looks like he's on the TikTok Kai Which, Havertz does the, 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 the issue for Havertz is if he was really going to develop into a centre forward it would have been in a team that Romelu Lukaku's not. Yeah, I mean, no, it, that, it kind that, of put, limits put the kibosh on that. Yeah, yeah, it limits the opportunity. But then you look at the goal that um, Havertz scored against Burnley last weekend when he wasn't there, and that's a very "I should be your centre forward" kind of goal, yeah. isn't it? I should be your big centre forward, and 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 that's what he can do. No, he, he you're completely right, and he has like. Um, He's deceptively good in the air because he's mm. taller than he looks. Like he's, he doesn't look like a handful physically, but he's quite tall. And he can jump and hang. Exactly. He's he? got the hang time. So he's deceptively yeah, yeah. good in the air. He's not going to rough people up the way certain other centre forwards can. But, you know, he put crosses in and he'll get on the end on quite mm. a few of them. And he's got, he's really, obviously really clever in the build up play. So I think just for Chelsea specifically, with all the good attacking midfielders they have buzzing around them, I think he can facilitate those players very, very well. And, and no, I, 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 I really like him for that role, but uh, it, it doesn't look like he's going to get that much game time playing like that. Is COVID, the COVID uh, infections, could that be an opportunity for Germany then? Because uh, obviously, if they give youngers uh, a chance now, when the World Cup comes around next day, uh, next year, will they revert back to the tried and tested veterans? Or could any of the youngers that break through now have a realistic chance of representing Germany. Yeah, I, I, I don't see why not. And yeah, um, Flick's someone who's... I, I find him such an interesting coach because mm. he's someone who is a motivator, who does connect with star players, yet he's tactically very smart as well. And he, he will innovate. He will try people out in different positions. And like we, like we said, we, we saw that with Hoffman before, just like we've seen it with... Alfonso Davies and in making him into his first choice left back, although Nico Kovac was the first person to put uh, Davies at, at left back, not very, not brilliantly successfully initially. Um, so I, I, th- I think he's he's open minded certainly, and this maybe gives an opportunity, but also it's sort of given everyone a, you know, it's it's, it's not a given like you know that we're not out of the woods yet. And I think it's a sort of reminder for for football society that um, yeah things are things are still a bit tense.
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. And I'm Chloe Morgan. Join us every week on our brand new show, Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. We'll get stuck into the biggest stories in women's football every Tuesday from the latest in the WSL. Gareth Taylor said, oh, well, actually, we were playing 3-4-3 and we moved to 4-4-3-3. If you look at any of the footage, if you look at the way the players played in that first half, there were four players playing at the back. That sort of comment speaks of a manager who doesn't quite know what they're doing. To how the Lionesses are shaping up ahead of a home Euros next summer. For me, I would pick Lee Williamson. I would just go for it now. For a younger age captain, you've got some big tournaments coming up. I think a lot of players think she's got a really great mentality, gets on with a lot of people. For me, she's a born leader and I think she will be England captain at some point. And what it's really like being a player in women's football today. From my own experiences of, of being in a situation like that, I mean, you know, when we got promoted uh, when I was with Spurs, that was phenomenal. I was, you know, first choice keeper. You know, then you go into the WSL for our first season and all I wanted to do was get WSL experience. Join us every Tuesday for Upfront. Search Football Ramble Presents in your podcast app. Subscribe now. Football Ramble Presents is a stack production. Now, which one of... You two had the wherewithal, if not the balls, as it is football, uh, to suggest that Serie A, the once upon a time defensive league of Europe, is now the most exciting league. Which one of you two? That was me, but um, really? I, 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 I think mean, it's, no. I think it's I thought pro- that would have been large. It's probably no. because um, Nicky Bandini has been transmitting messages directly into my head. Uh, yes, that's to do with the COVID vaccine. That's something that Nicky's <laughs> <Yeah>. involved with. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been fantastic so far. And I, I, I think it's I think it's interesting, isn't it, that when, when you see a league where the top two teams so far away mm. already like that Napoli and Milan have got a seven point gap to enter in third and may, maybe you look at that with no knowledge of context and think well you know is, is that a really exciting league or is it two super clubs battling it out but that's the point they're not two present super clubs mm-hmm. the two teams are clear at the top who you would not expect to be clear at the top mm-hmm. and in terms of the results so far, I mean, what, 12 games, 10 wins, two draws each. They've been absolutely peerless. It just sets the league up. We're nearly a third of the way through and it's so exciting because you're expecting a bit of a 
a bit of blowback from Inter, who I think have been pretty good so far and, and better than a lot of people would have expected them to be. Juventus have started chipping away and getting a few results, but they're still not quite up there yet. Um, then you've got Atalanta being Atalanta. Lazio, who have shown some promising signs under Sari and, and I think are going to get even better. And Roma, who are just, <laughs> well, interesting. Yes, of course they are. We, we know why Roma are interesting. But Lars, are, are you convinced? Because I remember last season when my favourite team, AC Milan, hmm. were at the top of the league. And I know it's not slightly different circumstances, but eventually the table corrects itself. And with Serie yeah. A, it seems that it's the top two teams that reign any runaways back in eventually over the course of a season. Yeah, th- th- I guess the thing that would c- worry me a little bit if I was you, Dawson, and I, and I had to be the bearer of, of uh, bad news is that <laughs> Napoli's, no, sorry, Milan's underlying numbers are are, are not amazing. Uh, so there's uh, looking at the sort of expected goals and this sort of I know, I know. this sort of nerdy nerdy stuff that I that I don't bring in this room that often, but I do look at it all the same. And uh, I, I have to break it to you that uh, that Napoli's numbers are considerably better than Milan's. So I would if things continue, well, I would I would favor them to pull away a little bit, but. Milan are a little bit more mature this season. I mean, we've, we've spoken about it before on this pod, but you know, because all the attention's on, you know, Ibra, who's about 105, it's easy to forget that the rest of the team is, is surprisingly young. I mean, the majority of the team are 25 and younger, and maybe they weren't quite ready for that title push last season. Uh, maybe they weren't quite ready for it, but, but maybe they are now in a, in a greater way. And also, of course, they have... Uh, as a great sort of, uh, as a plan B for when Ibra can't play because he cannot, you know, he has 40, he's not going to play every minute. You have Giroud, so you have another very tall, uh, clever man in the box to, to, to fall back on if Ibra is not there. So, so they do look a little bit more of a complete outfit this season. It's, it's interesting, actually, is given them an ability to use Ibrahimovic in a more judicious way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Of course, like injuries have dictated that to a, a certain degree. But you look at their win against Roma the weekend before last, when despite um, Mourinho and Thiago Pinto's <laughs> efforts to suggest otherwise, it was not that close, mm. despite the fact it was only 2-1. Milan were terrific, I, I thought, in that. And mm. uh, Roma, Roma quite disappointing. But th- they got, what, 50... Eight fifty nine minutes out of Ibrahimovic, mm. but what a fifty eight fifty nine minutes they yeah, were, yeah. and to be able to do that, to be able to let him off the leash, go absolutely knock yourself out for fifty five minutes or an hour, give it all you've got, and then we can replace you with Olivier Giroud. That's kind of a luxury, actually. That's a great thing to be able to do. And the minutes they did get out of Ibra in that game, he absolutely bossed it. As as last said, maybe you can't do it for for ninety minutes anymore or or, or every week, but if they're getting value minutes out of him, that's incredibly important, I think. Yeah, and just, they, they look, there's just a lot to like you know, all across the pitch with Milan right now. I mean, they have a really good sort of, uh, the centre-half pairing of Simon Chiar and Fikayo Tomori really complement each other really well. Uh, Simon Chiar has, has aged beautifully. I mean, he's he's, yes, he's, yeah. he's, he's he's playing some of his best football, but he's not rapid anymore, and he never was, to be honest. So having someone like Fuku- uh, Tomori, who is uh, a very unusually fast for a, for a centre-half, let's mm. put, it, put it very mildly, he's rapid, uh, that they, they complement each other very, very well. They've got a great attacking uh, fullback in Teo Hernandez. They've got a mix of all kinds of good stuff in, in midfield. 
deal with the sort of box to box sort of power of Frank Kessier, who you know when his contract expires, which it does in the summer, I believe, Andy. Uh, I think will be interesting for a lot of very big clubs around Europe if Milan doesn't manage to keep him. But also like like Benasser is there to provide a bit of skill, and there's got various like stuff going forward. So there's a lot of like. There's a lot of good stuff in this team. They're not one-trick ponies. They can play in slightly different ways. And and I think there are a lot of players there who are, yeah, it's, it's a deceptively young squad and a lot of guys who are a year older than they were last year. So they should be better equipped to, to take this title challenge all the way. The fundamental question, though, is uh, fair enough, you've outlined, uh, Andy, how the top two teams, the unfavoured top two teams, have forced uh, a texture or pace onto the Italian game. Uh, but to, to to make an entire league uh, change the habit of a lifetime to become more exciting, it takes more than just the top two. How is all but, of that so, filtered down? Uh, so, so, so Serie A becoming more attacking is something that's been happening, gra- happening oh, of gra- course, gradually, yeah. though. Oh, of uh, you, you've had a lot of um, attack-minded coaches who have, you know, uh, gone in and been successful. We, we can talk about Maurizio Sarri at Napoli. We can talk about uh, we can talk about uh, De Zerbi at Sassuolo, who was was there until, up until very yeah. recently. But uh, you know, it's, we, we've seen more and more emphasis on on being bold and, and and attacking. And I think it actually matters a little bit that the national team has embraced a more positive way of, of playing and that that's been successful. I mean, it's, it's funny, isn't it, how Mancini gets a lot of credit for that and not that he hasn't done a brilliant job for Italy, but if you scale it back, it's just, you, I think Nicky's touched on it before, it's just correctly using the attributes of the players you have as mm, well. Yeah. And so the it's way the, they play within exactly, Serie A. Exactly, so yeah. it's the league affecting the team because mm. I, I guess Serie A, very much like the, the, the Premier League, um, provides most of the players for its native national team in a, in a way that's not necessarily the case with other international teams. So it, it does have an enormous influence on it, I, I, I think. But um, I, I guess the, the, other, the other thing is you, you have to look at post-Calciopoli because um, go, going out of 2006, the, um, the amount of talent draining out of Serie A at that point and the lack of big signings coming in is something that's quite notable. And, you know, there are... Maybe Juventus apart, and Juventus, certainly up until they signed Cristiano Ronaldo, who obviously his wages ha- hamstrung their efforts to rebuild. Um, there's there's no team that can make godfather offers for superstars ever, any, anywhere else anymore. Mm. We know, like, Milan have had their financial difficulties until, like, quite bizarrely, they've sort of done pretty well with their default owner Elliot over the last last couple of years but you know there's there's had to be a little bit more creativity and I think I think that's very important in the way that the the league and the football has developed and it's it's been very important for coaches like De Serbi and Gasparini mm. who was like basically sort of binned off by bigger clubs I mean what, what did Gasparini have like four games at Inter yeah. I realised they were a bit of a basket case at the, at the time but nevertheless the ability for those sort of guys to build a dynasty and if you look at particularly Sassuolo actually the amount of players that they provided for the Italy team it's quite marked 
Yeah, no, and and I think it's worth noting. I mean, it's great that Italy. I mean, they've uh, they're averaging. I think the average is uh, three point eight goals per game, which is. I thought you weren't going to bring any more stats into this. Just higher than the Premier League, higher than La Liga. It's almost like the, the Eredivisie levels of goals so far, which is fun. But but like with someone like Gasparini, he has he has been kind of trying to do this stuff for a long time. Like it's not as if they were always very defensive and it happened overnight. Mm. You can go back to like. The 08 09 season, Gasparini's Genoa, which is one of my I, maybe because of how old I was at the time, is one of the teams I remember very, very fondly when he was already doing the sort of 3 4 3 when sort of quite attack minded, you know, Crescito sort of running around and 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 then and, and Diego Milito up front mm. and sort of Umar Milanetto pulling the strings in midfield uh, a midfielder who had a unique talent of always looking like he was running uphill and it, and it was just it was clearly and they were doing this sort of exactly the thing that Atalanta are doing now which just constantly overloading the flanks and then chucking a lot of crosses in you know back then it was towards Milito you know now it's towards Big Duvan Zapata so these aren't completely original ideas but but I think you're completely right that in the sort of post-Calciopoli environment and in a, in a period of time where there's less money and you don't have these larger than life presidents just tossing incredible sums of money at everything maybe it's easier for someone like him to, to thrive and, and turn and turn a regional club and a provincial club in Atlanta into the powerhouse that they are now talking of Genoa that's something to look forward to after, yes. after the international break Andrei Shevchenko Oh, okay. As, as, as the head coach of, of, of Genoa, that would be really interesting. I mean, look, if he lasts more than four months, he's done a brilliant job there because they're, they're um, quite, quite, faith. quite an unstable club. So if he can keep them up and do a decent job for the, the rest of the season, and, you know, we've seen with Ukraine that he can organise the defence and, well, they've played in a couple of different ways, actually. Um I, I think it, it's, it's really interesting to see how that works and if he has a sustainable future as a Serie A coach. It'd be fantastic to see a personality like him in the football environment and culture that he always connected with the most. It would it would be absolutely brilliant to see that. You know, uh, the thing that would be really interesting to hear is in a moment when I asked Lars whether he agrees with you, whether he's been affected by Nicky Bandini's radio waves. Before we leave Genoa, they will never mention Genoa on the pod again, but Shevchenko coming in does mean that Davide Baradini has been sacked, which is, again... If, if I got this right, he's been coaching for 17 seasons and only once has he been able to stay as a manager for a full season, uh, having been a manager for 17 seasons. It's good work if you Which can get is it. truly remarkable. But Three uh, words, Lars. Still under contract. There you go. There <laughs> He'll you be go. back at some there point. There you go. I, I fear That's that, how they roll. I fear, though, that you misunderstood my uh, previous question, which, with your permission, I'll ask again, because it is an intriguing one. You kind of alluded to the fact that this league, Serie A, has become the most exciting in Europe because of the challenge towards the top teams, uh, towards the teams that are leading the league at the moment. Yeah, there is a certain kind of, if you like... well, I, I think it's helped that Juventus have, you know, enthusiastically shot themselves in, in both feet and, and at least one arm over the last couple of years uh, by just making bad decisions. And it's, it's. I mean, they should financially have a, a complete stronghold can over we this just, league still. Can we just cut to the chase and call it a post-Ronaldo apocalypse? <laughs> but it, 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 it that sounds of, like a tricky album. It, it, it kind of it? is, but I would also argue that signing Ronaldo was part of what caused them to lose their grip because the money yeah. money going into the Ronaldo deal no, that's what I mean. made it harder for them to yeah. strengthen the rest of the team. Yeah. And 
as I, I dare say, so, as we're seeing at United, even if the same thing, I mean, even if he's scoring goals, the team as a whole didn't become better. And that's, that's no. what happened at Juventus as well. And then they hired some managers who they probably shouldn't have hired because they didn't make any sense. So they sort of, they've, they've tripped themselves up and that is making it more possible for the other sort of forces to rise again. So, you know, can cheers, I, Juventus. Can, can I just say, we've got through this whole section without mentioning Jose Mourinho. He will be fuming. <laughs> Just to remind you that you can get in touch anytime during the course of the week. You can tweet us at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adebayo, at Andy Brassel, and at Lars Severston. Carlin asks by Twitter through the first third of the season, Trabzonspor are top of the league in Turkey, while they are a massive club and well supported outside of the traditional Istanbul powerhouses. They don't have, or they haven't had as much success. What are they doing right this season as opposed to any other? I think there are a couple of strands to this. I mean, um, one of our listeners, Adam Carter, pointed out on, on Twitter that they've made some canny signings, in, including uh, Bruno Perez and um, Marek Hamzik. Marek Hamzik, who, when he came back to Europe I was not expecting looked to be pretty good. average in Sweden yeah and yet so far this season in the Turkish Super League he was brilliant in the win at Bajiktas last weekend and that win at Bajiktas really showed how far they'd, they'd come they played pretty well they hung in there with a bit of luck when Bajiktas came back at them and then they scored like a 95th minute winner um, via Andreas Cornelius as, as, as well so um, th- there's clearly a great deal of belief there at the moment engendered by their early season results they've good experienced coach in Abdullah Avji who of course has been in charge of the Turkish national team as, as, as well in the past um, the other thing that's really worked for, for Trabzon is the fact that the Big three in Istanbul have not been good so far. Um, Fenerbahce have, have, have been a total mess. They just narrowly avoided a fourth successive league defeat last weekend when Meza Ozil scored a 99th minute penalty against Kayserispor. Um, Galatasaray, I I just don't think the current squad is, is is up to it. They've they've had their moments, particularly in Europe, where they've they've done, they've done pretty well actually, in um, the Europa League so far. And when you bear in mind they're in a group with Marseille and Lazio, that's that's fairly impressive. Um, but I just think they lack that top centre forward that they've they've had in the past. And when you bear in mind that they've had Drogba, Burak Yilmaz, Bafetin Bigomi, etc. etc., et et it's it's a bit of a come down. And Bajiktas. I mean, they they played all right in that game against Trabzonspor, actually, but they have found a way, quite weird for champions, they've found a way to play well and not win games quite a lot of times this season. Trabzon have, have, have been great. They've made the most of the shortcomings of, of other teams. And if the big three from Istanbul bite back, it could be a really interesting second half of the season, I think. Uh, Rabi or Rabi Romero asks will Xavi be given a lot of leeway from the Barcelona fans given what a legend he is at the club even though uh, Ronald Koeman wasn't afforded the same courtesy or would continued bad results mean they eventually 
turn even on their own, on him. Yes, I'm going to keep this a little bit brief because I do believe we're running a bit long. And also, this is the game of the week to come. You know, I have some things to say. But um, listen, to the extent that anyone will ever be given time at Barcelona, because Barcelona is still Barcelona, surely this is the time where the fans can actually step back and realize we are in a hole. We cannot buy our way out of the hole. So we just kind of have to give it some time. And, and, and we have someone in Xavi who completely embodies everything that they felt they weren't getting with Ronald Coleman. You know, the, the, the sort of the, the ideological crime of, of, of playing Luke de Jong as a sort of confused target man and sort of sending crosses towards him. Like They can accept losing a few games, I think, but they cannot accept losing games like that. And they are in a financial situation now, Barcelona. You know, the CEO, uh, Ferran Reverter, said uh, earlier in the autumn that if they were a normal sort of public company, the, the, the club would have been dissolved earlier this year because like the, the finances just don't make any sense. Uh, the debt to sort of revenue ratio is like catastrophic and I know Barcelona are Barcelona and in Barcelona there will always be a very high level of expectation but surely if there's one point in their modern history where the fans will accept that this might take some time it should be now with Xavi trying to instill some of the old values and trying to help and, and guide this very exciting generation uh, to the, the greatness that, that, that they possibly could achieve. Okay, Lars, you've been waiting for your games of the week <laughs> and you've got a dinner yes. uh, to offer us as well at the same well, time. So. Yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> um, no, it's, it's Tuesday night. Come on. It's it's Netherlands versus Norway on Tuesday night. Now, I'm going to make two assumptions, but they're not huge assumptions. I think the Netherlands will beat Montenegro. I think Norway will beat Latvia, which means that we will go into that game with the Netherlands two points above Norway, which means it is basically a, a shootout for qualifying for the World Cup. So Norway do need to win in in uh, in the Netherlands uh, to, to 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 get to win the group uh, whereas if Norway lose they could be leapfrogged by Turkey so, so Norway can can both secure direct qualification and they can you know not get playoffs so for us this is going to be a very exciting Oof. evening uh, we're facing of course Louis van Gaal's uh, the Netherlands who on paper are a better team than us no doubt about that uh, we have a couple of issues with Erling Holland uh, not being there because of injury with uh, Christopher Ayer missing out as well he's very important in our defence uh, but but there are sort of reasons to be a little bit cautiously optimistic for Norway uh, I really rate our manager Stolz Solbakken as I've said before, I believe he is uh, probably the best manager with a Norwegian passport out there right now. It's a very veiled dig at someone else. I think the, the careful <laughs> listener might notice. Uh, and and now that he's had some time to work with the players, I mean, he took over mid-pandemic, very tricky for international managers. But now that he's had some time to work with the players, I think we are looking better. Uh, a, a very depleted side did surprisingly well away to Turkey. Only 1-1 in the end, but we nearly nicked it. We go into this game as underdogs. But I like this Norwegian team. I mean, I like bigging up Norwegians, but I've for many years had to be very fatalistic about the national team. Andy Smiling, he's heard a lot of me dissing the national team. <laughs> but I like this team more than I've liked a Norway team in a long time. And even without Holland, I think we have a chance. And that was a party political broadcast on behalf of the <laughs> Norwegian Broadcasting Company. Lutefisk. Norsk Riks Kings Kings Have, Kings have some smoked salmon and then for dessert a stroopwafel. So, Andy, wow. Get, get some I, Dutch I, stuff I, I, in I there like, as well. Yeah, don't worry. I'm going to watch the game just to eat the food. But Andy, <laughs> in terms of the World Cup international break, what would you recommend? Um, I am going to go for Sunday night, Portugal versus Serbia. Um, again, there's a... I meant the food. Uh, the, yeah, that's coming. Uh, there, there's a, a degree of assumption 
there as well because well look it's it's a huge game for Portugal whether or not they beat Republic of Ireland because they're just behind Serbia at the moment with a game in hand which they play against Republic of Ireland possibly by the time you've listened to this podcast because it's happening on Thursday night in in, in Dublin um, yeah I, I, I like the look of Portugal at the moment I still think a bit of work needs to be done to have them take that next leap to contenders. Um, they're no longer reliant on Ronaldo. This is a difficult game against Serbia. Serbia, who are unbeaten so far uh, in the qualifiers, and they never seem to get to the, the, the level that their talent suggests they should. They're a slightly more athletic team than they have been in, in, in previous years, which I think makes a difference. It's always good to have a, a big a World Cup or Euros qualifier in Lisbon. So I'm looking forward to that as well. I would enjoy it with a Bifa de Casa, which is where you get a steak, which I would not cook as much as the Portuguese tend to. Talking of veiled digs. Um, you, uh, they burn it like you have a, crispy. Yeah, you have a fry, yeah, great for the English. <laughs> you, have, you have a fried egg on top and uh, as anyone who's ever uh, eaten in Portugal uh, knows chips and rice with everything. Yeah, but why the fried egg? Oh, that, that, that's, that's, that's what beef de casa is. I don't, but what, what's that do to the beef? It's nice. Do you not like the sort of Madeiran style of beef when it's on a skewer with more spices than usual? Yeah, yeah. Look, look. On other on other weeks, on other weeks, I could have chosen one of the four million ways they've got of cooking cod. I would have gone for bakiyawa brash, mm. but no, no. It's beef de casa this weekend. You've got to treat yourself to a bit of red meat in the international break, unless you're vegan or vegetarian, obviously. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.